We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, the Counseling Director here at Rolling Hills Community Church. Today, we're continuing in our Advent series, Love Came Down. In today's sermon, Pastor Jason will continue teaching from the first chapter of Luke. He'll be speaking about joy and how the reason for this Christmas season is Jesus. Through Christ alone is where true joy is found, church. Now here's Jason. Well, I am so grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. I'm excited to see you. I get so excited to see every person who comes here, and your presence in this place means the world to me. And I want you to think about a moment, in fact, along those lines, about a moment in your life when you have been really excited to see someone. I mean, I'm not talking like a little excitement, but an overwhelming sense of joy and excitement because of someone's presence. And when I think about that kind of opening question, a story comes to my mind. And it's something that happened to our family. I think I've probably told a few of you this story before because it has some really good staying power. But it happened to us a couple years ago on Thanksgiving. Our daughter was a couple years old, and we were traveling for Thanksgiving. And we were on I-65 North, headed up to Kentucky to visit my family, and we were, the, joy, the, the joy of Thanksgiving was upon us. We were grateful, and we were really, really excited, but from the back seat, we start hearing a noise, and it's early in the morning, and some of you have weak stomachs, so I'll spare you all the details, but it's that noise from a child where everything that's inside is getting ready to come outside, if you know what I mean, and if you remember what that's like when that happens in a car seat for you parents or grandparents in the room, you know, it's just awful. It's really like worst case scenario, and so that happens, and so we pull off at the first exit that we can find and decide to kind of start the cleanup process, and we get the car seat scrubbed down and cleaned up, and the child scrubbed down and cleaned up, and, but Thanksgiving is still up on us, so we're grateful, so we're moving on 65 North. About a mile up the road, a little light comes on, on my car, and then I start hearing the thud, the thud, the thud, the thud, and I know immediately we now have a flat tire, and so we pull off at the next exit, and in the midst of stop number one to address issue one, we have picked up a nail in our tire, which is now problem number two that we are facing, and so I'm sitting there looking at the nail on the tire, and you can't make this stuff up. Then it starts raining, A rain cloud opens right over our car. At that point in time, I'm thinking Thanksgiving is canceled. Like this is just nothing to be grateful for anymore. And so Jacqueline and I say, well, we've got to make this trip on because we had several more hours to travel. And so we're thinking, well, the quickest place we could go would be Walmart to get a new tire. And so we find the closest Walmart and their tire center was closing in 15 minutes. And I Googled to see how far away it was. And my maps told me 18 minutes away. And you're just thinking... This is not going to work. And so then my wife, who is much wiser and much more put together than I am, says, this is why we have AAA. Let's call AAA and see, you know, like, clearly we need help. We need help. So let's let somebody come out and and, and fix this situation for us. And so that guy shows up, and he was really grateful to be out in the rain the night before Thanksgiving as well. You could tell how he was very, very joyful. But I have never in my life wanted to hug someone as much as that guy. But his persona did not let me know that that was appropriate. And so I don't think he he didn't seem like a very huggable person in, in that moment in time. But he had the necessary tools and plugged the tire and put a patch on the tire and said, you know, you'll be good for a little bit, um, so you should be able to get where you're going, and we got the whole problem resolved, you know, the next day after we had been home. And I think about that story because this guy showing up, his presence kind of changed everything. 
because it was situation after situation after craziness, after chaos, after all of these things, and he shows up and he makes the situation a-okay. And in a much more spiritual turn of events, we are celebrating at this holiday season, at this Christmas season, at this season that we refer to as the most wonderful time of the year, we are celebrating love coming down and Jesus's presence changes everything for us. His presence is what gives us joy. His presence with us today is why we can have life. And in fact, we're going to look at a text today that's going to give us an incredible visual of the importance of presence and what Jesus' presence meant and what John the Baptist's presence meant, both of these as children. And so I'm going to ask you to direct your attention with us to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. And begin looking for these two babies. I'm going to talk about two babies today and the presence of these children and what impact it had on Zachariah and Mary and us here today. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. You're going to see these words up here on the screen as well. Some of them are printed there for you in your worship guide, but I want you to listen to this part of the story. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, here we go, it's baby number one, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the power of your presence in our lives. Thank you for the power of your presence in this place. And I pray that today you would teach us, strengthen us, remind us of who you are. God, we're so grateful for this day, and we're grateful for an opportunity to be together. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Now, a little bit of a backstory here for you to kind of catch you up as to where we are with this text today, because you are introduced here to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest, and he was in the temple, and he received this proclamation from the angel Gabriel. And Zechariah had a wife whose name was Elizabeth, and they were both getting up in years, and they didn't have children. They were not blessed with children. And so the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a child. You and your wife are going to have a child in very old age. And that was very difficult for him to understand. Understand. So much so, he questioned God, is that even possible? Can that really happen? Side note, don't question God, because when you question God, sometimes things happen. And so God literally silences him. And so for the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth, 
Zechariah is not able to speak. And that's why you notice the beginning of our text today, it started with he immediately began to speak when the baby was born, but the entire pregnancy, he was not able to speak. Fast forward a couple moments from this moment with Zechariah in the temple, Gabriel, the same angel, comes to Mary, who is a teenage girl who has not had a sexual relationship with anyone, and reminds her, you are going to have a child as well. And you're going to conceive the power of God. You're going to conceive a baby, and that baby will be the Messiah, the one that we sing about. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. And in that proclamation, Gabriel tells Mary, also, there's this other lady named Elizabeth who is having a child in a kind of very unique set of circumstances like you are. And so what does Mary do? She makes the three-day journey to go see Elizabeth. And when she arrives in Elizabeth's presence, the baby in her womb, which is John the Baptist, leaps for joy. And Mary is so overcome by the presence of God. And that picks us up to where we are right now. That little baby, John the Baptist, that was leaping for joy, wee, 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 in her, his, his mother's womb, Elizabeth, he's now born. And that's where we start. And so we're five days before Christmas, and we're talking about John the Baptist. And some of you guys have this kind of inquisitive look on your face because you looked at your nativity set on the way out of the house this morning, and John the Baptist isn't there. And you guys are like, shouldn't we be talking about the shepherds or the wise men or someone else? Is my nativity set from Hallmark incorrect? Do I need to go find another little baby to put in here? No, you're fine. But John the Baptist is such a crucial part of the story of Jesus. John the Baptist is preparing the way Zechariah is his father, and there's this really cool thing that is happening here between Zechariah and his son, John the Baptist, and there's something that we can learn about joy, and we can learn about the life that we should be living in the midst of all this. Now, again, just to kind of catch us all up to where we are, go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 14, because this is when Zechariah is in the temple, and Gabriel is speaking with him. And this is what Gabriel says, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Who is he talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about the little baby, Zachariah, that you and Elizabeth will have. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice because of him. Keep fast-forwarding all the way over to Luke chapter 1, verse 58. Elizabeth gives birth. To John the Baptist, Zechariah is there. He still can't speak, but they're all there. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her, what? Joy. So he will be a great joy. And upon his birth, the neighbors celebrate in the great joy of the birth of John the Baptist. There was so much joy connected to the birth of this child because of what he was going to do. Now, this is a side note, but in life, I would encourage you, surround yourself with people who will celebrate joyous occasions with you. It's a side note, but find people that will celebrate. It is not hard at all to find wet blankets. It's not hard at all to find people who will rob you of your joy. But find people in your life, bring people into your life who will celebrate these joyous occasions with you. In fact, I pray that this Christmas is your most joyous one yet. And some of you guys are saying, brother, we are at the end of 2020. 2021 has got to be the most joyous year, and I'm going to beg to differ. I think in the midst of some of probably the most chaotic circumstances that some of you have dealt with, this can be your most joyous Christmas ever. 
This can be a Christmas season that is filled with so much joy, and the joy has nothing to do with circumstances. All too often, we confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is a roller coaster. If my circumstances are good, then I'm good. Joy is steady. Because where does it come from? It doesn't come from circumstances. It comes from the presence of God. In fact, I want you to see this in your notes there today. Joy is a choice. I'll give you some blanks that you can fill in. If you want to fill in some of these blanks to kind of follow along, maybe there'll be something that you can reflect upon this week. But joy is a choice. I believe this. I believe in 100% of all situations, it's a choice to live a joyful life. In fact, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that, that beautifully illustrates this point. It's in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13. You see it up here on the screen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that for you again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I dissect that verse for you a little bit, what is the promise in that verse? The verse is that God will fill us with joy, and that God will fill us with hope, and that God will give us peace, and that God will give us power, right? Sign me up. Joy, hope, peace, power. I want it. Who doesn't want it? Joy, hope, peace, power. But what's the clause in there that we so quickly gloss over? All of those things come as you trust in Him. It's actually the five words that are more important than anything else because the promises are there. But how are those promises received? As you trust in Him. It's the key part of this verse. As you trust in Him, those things come. So see, if I'm at a point in my life where joy has been very elusive or peace has not been able to be found in my life, is it entirely possible that I'm not trusting in him as much as I need to be. Bring this back to Zechariah. Bring this concept back to Zechariah. He was a priest in the temple. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, that both of them, that's he and his wife Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, these are righteous people. They're in a good place, but the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah something that's very difficult for him to believe. And how does Zechariah answer? In verse 18, he says, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. How can this happen? God, I'm not really sure that you're, that you're capable of doing this. So see, there was something in this moment, even though Zechariah was a righteous man, there was something in this moment where he had kind of taken a back seat a little bit to being able to the as you trust in him, the peace and the joy and the hope come. See, the joy kind of evaded him for just a moment because he stopped trusting in God. And as a result of that, what happened? He goes into a season of silence. He goes into a season of silence where he can't speak for about a nine-month period of time because he didn't believe that the words of God were going to come true. That's an interesting point here, though. Even though Zechariah was a righteous person, he still had room to grow. Many of you in this room this morning are righteous people, but you still have room to grow because you have these moments in your life where you kind of stop just trusting or some situation or some circumstance happens in your life and it's harder for you to trust God in the middle of that. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. This is for all of us this morning and you see it there on your notes. Don't ever forget your continual work in progress. Is that good truth or what? I am a continual work in progress. 
you are a continual work in progress. All the way in the back of the room, you are a continual work in progress. See, discipleship is not something that you arrive at. This is not a graduation ceremony for discipleship. You know, congratulations, you are a fully mature disciple and you have no room to grow. No, it's a continual daily practice to trust God. And this snapshot in Zachariah's life reminds us that we're all a work in progress. That if the joy is not there, maybe it's because we're still a work in progress. And maybe we have some trusting. Maybe we need to have some more deep faith in God or something in our life that needs to be surrendered more to Him. Because the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth, Zachariah couldn't speak. But the baby is born, and it's very customary for a child to be named after his father, and so everyone around Elizabeth says, well, surely you're going to name the baby Zachariah. And she says, no, we're going to name the baby John. Because if you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 13, the angel Gabriel tells Zachariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So Gabriel had already told Zachariah what was going to happen. Zachariah begins to doubt and wonder, is God really going to do what he says he's going to do? God takes him into a season of silence, but then the baby is born, and Zechariah motions for a writing tablet. He can't speak, and he writes out on the tablet, his name will be John. And the moment he writes that, his mouth opens up, and he immediately begins to speak again. Why? Because something had happened. There was a trust that he now had. And it's a very interesting application point here, which again, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the nativity story but I think is so appropriate for where a lot of us are living our lives right now. It's so critical for us. And you see it there in your notes. It's in the quiet that God often speaks the loudest. God was doing some serious business with Zechariah. And when was that happening? In a moment of being quiet. It's almost as if Zechariah didn't know how to be quiet. And so God said, I'll take care of this. Hmm. Does it sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever been living their life and a big detour just comes up? And God's trying to get your attention about something? Maybe God's been giving you some road signs, mile by mile, step by step, and what have you been doing? Pedal to the metal, still going, and God says, okay, well, then I'll get your attention this way. I'll just kind of shut down the world for a little bit. Oh, your priorities are off in your family? How about this? Everybody's going to be working from home for a little bit so that you can really see where your priorities should be. Or, oh, you think your hope is in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all of these institutions of the world? Let's just stop all of those for a second to see where your trust really lies. See, it's often in the quiet that God speaks the loudest. When is the last time that you've been captivated by God in a noisy situation? When's the last time that you've just been overwhelmed by God's presence when the TV is on, the phone is on, people are yelling, people are talking to you at, you know, a really high volume and your mind's, you know, focused on a million different things? That's not really a recipe for God to overwhelm you with his goodness. Personally, the most captivating time of the day for me is in the quiet when nobody else is up. I love all my people. I would do anything for my people. But they're noisy. (laughs) And they tap your shoulder. Not my wife. They they tap your shoulder. They want a snack. 
They want a pretzel. They want some milk. They want some more milk. They want a show. They want a book. I mean, you get it. It's the course of your day. So sometimes it's in the quiet that God often speaks the loudest. That's why Psalm 4610 says to be still and know that I am God. Be still. And in that stillness, you begin to realize that he is God. Now look at Zechariah. He was a righteous man. But he had a moment of disbelief. He had this moment where he asked God, can God really be trusted? And he enters into this season of silence and God works on his heart. And God changes his point of view and places his trust back in him. And Zachariah's life completely changes. See, he went through some massive growing pains and he welcomed those. How about you and I? Do we embrace those growing pains or do we run from those growing pains? Because at the end of this moment, when Zachariah says his name will be John, look at verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah sees what God is doing. He sees what he's going to do with his son, John the Baptist. And immediately when he recovers his voice, what does he do? He starts praising God. So if you're in a season of difficulty or a season of silence or maybe a season of chaos right now and it's just quiet and God is speaking to you and you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel when your mouth opens back up, I hope and pray that it's praise. On the, this side of a trial, is it praise or is it more questions? On this side of a confusing moment in life, is it, God, thank you for what you have done in the midst of this? Or is it, God, why did you take me through that? Because when you get to the moment of praise, that story of God meeting you in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggles, what that's going to do is that's going to lead other people to a place of awe. It's exactly what happened with Zechariah. He starts proclaiming, yes, God is in the midst of all of this. God has incredible plans for mine, Elizabeth's little baby, John the Baptist. And the people are in awe. It's kind of like if you've ever gone through a difficult moment in your life and you are able to share about that. And you're able to share about what God has been doing in the midst of a really difficult season of life. Have you noticed how much people stop and take note of that? I listen to that story all the time. You listen to those stories of people who have gone through the valleys. And they're on this side of the valley and they're proclaiming and praising God in the midst of it. Some of us have gone through really difficult seasons and we've kept it so to ourselves that we've not allowed God to come into that. And it's in those moments of inviting God into those difficult seasons that others stand in awe of what God has done. And Zechariah, much like Mary, breaks into song. When Mary was overwhelmed with the goodness of God, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, she breaks into what's known as the Magnificat. It's this beautiful praise. It's the first Christmas carol. And here we have the second Christmas carol. Zachariah's song is a lot different than Mary's. It's actually referred to as the Benedictus. And I'm not going to read the entire thing there for you because we've already read it once, but 68 all the way down through verse 79 is this beautiful song. This song of praise that Zechariah is leading, but much you might notice there, and if you remember me reading it or go back and look at it a little bit, is that most of the song is even not about his own son, though. Because Zechariah is, he and Elizabeth are bringing John the Baptist into the world, but most of the song is not about their son, John the Baptist. Most of the song is about Jesus. 
enter the other baby. Most of the song of praise is about Jesus and how John the Baptist is going to be preparing the way for the Messiah. This son that they are bringing into the world is going to be preparing the way. But look at what Zechariah says about Jesus, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. See, this is Zechariah bringing praise to the child that Mary is carrying. And he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed him. You see this there in your notes, but joy comes from knowing that Jesus came. Where is joy? What is joy? How do I find joy? See, joy comes in my life from knowing that Jesus came. And Zechariah has already moved to past tense. Did you catch that? Jesus hasn't even been born yet. Some of you guys are like, I'm trying to do the math in my head here. Is Jesus actually born yet? Has, has, has the little drummer boy showed up yet for Jesus in the manger? No, Jesus is still in Mary's womb. The baby is still in the womb, and Zechariah is praising that child already. Why? Because he saw the impact that that Christ child had on his wife and on his little boy. When he showed up, when Mary showed up with Jesus in the womb, celebration occurred. The Holy Spirit poured out in that moment. He saw what happened in the presence of Jesus Christ, and that brought great joy. This is the primary reason that any of us can have joy right now. This is how you can have joy at the end of 2020. It's because love came down. God sent his one and only son to redeem the world. And it's what Zachariah says he was going to do. He has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He has redeemed them. Which is a very fancy way of saying he paid the price. He paid the price so that you and I could have life. And then Zechariah continues on in this song about bringing all of this joy and all this praise to what Jesus is going to do. He says he's going to lead us in salvation. He says in verse 72 that he's going to show us mercy. In verse 74, he's going to rescue us from the hand of enemies. In verse 74, we can serve him without fear and so forth and so on. All of this praise that he is heaping up on the Christ child who is going to be born. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do. But I want you to look at verse 69 because verse 69 is really interesting. In verse 69, it's a really unique word picture. Zechariah says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He's saying, God has raised up a horn of salvation in reference to Jesus. Some of you guys are thinking, I've never heard Jesus referred to as the horn of salvation. If so, you're in good company because this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as the horn of salvation. So it's not a phrase that is familiar to um, many of us. It's not a phrase that we would naturally connect to Jesus. And what it's doing is it's referencing some Old Testament teaching here. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, both of these are David's words. But in both of these occurrences, David is referencing an event where God delivered him from the hand of the enemies. God delivered him from the hands of Saul, who was a, um, a, very, um, a leader who was very overcome by kind of the forces of evil. And God delivered him. And this is what David said about God in that moment. Psalm 18, too, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. 
My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's David saying, this is who God is. And then Zechariah picks up that Old Testament prophecy because Jesus had been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. So they were expecting a Messiah to come. They just weren't expecting him to be a baby. And he comes and Zechariah praises God and says, he is the horn of our salvation. Now, what does that mean? A horn symbolizes strength. A horn symbolizes power. A horn is used by an animal to defend itself in battle. If an animal has horns, its horns can be used as weapons to keep other predators away or to keep other animals away. And Zechariah is saying, this is who Jesus is. He's not even born yet, but this is what he's going to do. He is going to be the horn of our salvation, meaning he is going to fight for you. And he can be trusted. But did you catch in Psalm 18 too? He's not just a fighter. He's also a shield. He's not just out leading in offense, but he is on the defense as well. He is a fighter. He is a protector. He's on the offense for you, but also on the defense for you. He's out there as the weapon that lets you know that no enemy formed against you will prosper. But yet, he's the one that holds you. Holds you as a loving father would hold a child. If you were to talk to a coach and you were to ask a coach, basketball coach, football coach, what wins a game, offense or defense? And depending on who you talk to, you're going to get a lot of different answers. It's this, this, this offense, this, this, this defense. And all as you could, you know, argue it until you, you want to. But the reality is a little bit of both. Because you can have the best defense in the world, the absolute best defense in the world, but if we're talking about basketball, you're really not going to win a game unless you take this basketball, and it has to get in the hoop at least one time. Offense. You have to have a player run into the end zone at least one time, even if you have the best defense in the world. So it's not just either or, but it's both and. And what Zachariah is saying here is that Jesus is going to be on the front lines of the battle, keeping your enemies away, offense. But he's going to hold you in his arms as your protector and as your defense. And you see it there in your notes. Jesus protects you, but he fights for you at the same time. And this is what Zachariah is talking about. Jesus protects you, and he simultaneously fights for you at the same time. Jesus is the mighty king, but he's not a dictator. Jesus changed everything, but he came as a baby. And then Zechariah turns his attention to his own son. Verses 76 through 79 are this part of the Benedictus where Zechariah is talking about his own son, John the Baptist. And this is what he says, you are going to go before him and you're going to give him the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. That's going to come through your words. And John the Baptist, you're going to pave the way and you're going to point people to Jesus Christ who is coming. Many people thought that John the Baptist was the Savior. And what did John the Baptist say? He said, no, one who is greater than me is coming. I'm showing you the way. I'm showing you the way. And what does Zachariah say? He says, this, my son, is what you're going to do. He's holding this little eight-day-old baby in his hands And he is saying, you are going to give people the knowledge of salvation, meaning you're going to speak the words of salvation. It's through the forgiveness of sins that you and I can be saved. What is that story? 
what is that knowledge of salvation that John the Baptist was going to proclaim? Well, that knowledge of salvation was that you don't do anything to deserve what God gives you. You don't do anything to deserve that. You submit to him being Lord of your life. It's this amazing truth that we see in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you see it there in your notes, salvation is the free gift of God to you. This is what John the Baptist was proclaiming. And Zechariah was so overwhelmed with God's presence and the Holy Spirit because he knew this is what his son was going to proclaim. He knew this is what his son was going to be leading because he was pointing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that same hope of the gospel is so incredibly relevant for you and I right now. That God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus grew up, and he lived sinless years here on this earth, and he went and died on a cross so that you and I could have life. And three days later, that tomb burst open, and he reigned victorious over sin and over death so that you and I don't have to be held captive by that anymore. If you're here and you do not have that knowledge of a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, I implore you, don't leave this room today without sticking around after this service, coming up here to the front, and talking to one of our pastoral care team and saying, I want to know more about the power of the gospel because I want that in my life. It's a free gift of God to you. But the thing about a gift is that you have to accept it. And you have to realize your need for it. And you have to desire it. Some of you are going to give gifts this season. You're going to give gifts, to season, give gifts this season to people that don't really need the gifts that you're giving them. Right? I mean, we do gifts because we love people and we care for them and I welcome them. I like to give them. I like to welcome them. But the reality is, you know, most of our lives aren't hanging in the balance with, you know, the Bath and Body Works shower gel that you're giving to somebody. But you've got to realize that you need it for it to be a gift that you want to latch on to. At our house, we're, we're kind of strange. We don't have a microwave at our house. And some of you guys are like, what? You don't have a microwave at your house? Do you have some moral aversion to microwaves? No. We don't have it. It wasn't in a time of prayer that God said, you know, get rid of your microwaves, you know, <laughs> throw it out with all the secular CDs from the 90s and burn them. You know, that wasn't the case. We moved into a house that had a small kitchen and just didn't really know where the microwave was going to go. And so Jacqueline says, well, I, you know, I think we can live without a microwave, and that's been like five years ago. And to be honest with you, we haven't missed it. And some people are like, well, how, what do you do with coffee when your coffee gets cold? And I'm like, I've never had a cup of coffee get cold. <laughs> I drink it immediately. So that's the only thing I would ever use it for, and that's never happened. So I don't think I need it. The reality is, though, if you're going to get us a gift, don't get us a gift that requires a microwave. Some of you guys had wrapped up a box of microwave popcorn for me. Give it to somebody else. <laughs> you went to the store and you found a Duncan Hines cake in a mug box. I think Pastor Jason would like this. I appreciate the gesture, but I can't use it. Unless you're attaching a microwave to the box. It's a gift that I can't use. And to be honest with you, it's a gift that I don't need because I can't use it. Salvation is a free gift of God, but friends, you've got to realize your need for it. And you've got to realize, you know what? 
I can't do this in my own power. God, I, I can't fix my own brokenness. I can't find joy in the midst of all of the craziness of this life. I can't find hope in the midst of all the things of this world. I need that to be from you. And it's what Christmas is really all about. It's about that gift of Jesus that we so desperately need. But it's a gift that we can never earn or never deserve. And so it's with that knowledge that John the Baptist grows up and he becomes more and more increasing in his faith and in his trust in Jesus. And if you're walking with him, I hope and pray that he becomes more and more to you. And as we close today, I want you to reflect upon this point. See, when he increases and I decrease, joy will always be the result. We're talking about joy today. We're talking about where does joy come from? See, when he increases and I decrease, joy will always be the result. How do we know this to be true? Because look at what John 3.30 says. He must become greater and I must become less. Does anybody want to take a guess as to who said this? This is John the Baptist. This is in his adult ministry preparing the way for Jesus. And he says, he must become greater and I must become less. And in doing so, you realize where your joy comes from. So I don't know where you are today, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I simply want to ask you the question, where is your joy? Are you looking for happiness this morning or are you looking for joy? Because see, joy is found in the presence of Jesus Christ. Zachariah knew it. Mary knew it. Elizabeth knew it. Many of us in the room know it. But there's possibly some people in the room that do not know that quite yet, that it's truly the presence of Jesus Christ that brings joy. And it is that gift that we could never earn or that we certainly don't deserve that makes everything in our life whole and right and clean. So God, I thank you for meeting us here. And I thank you that you are at work in this place. And I thank you that we can celebrate this Christmas season because joy has come. And God, your joy has changed everything. And so I pray that in this time of response, in this time of singing, in this time of continued worship, that you would help us to reflect upon your son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died who went to the cross so that we could have life. We thank you for that. And we're so grateful for you meeting us here in this place. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.